1: Hello everyone and thank you for joining us for episode 344 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am co-host Scott Coleman filling in for Brad Roland this week who could not be with us Uh, and I am joined this afternoon this Sunday afternoon by fellow co-host Eric Cole. Eric after a long winter we finally have some baseball games to talk about. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm always
2: here for Scott Coleman, main host, uh, dude, uh, you you probably won't get, you'd have a tough time to get, not have me on the podcast if you're main hosting. Uh, if only Brad loved our listeners as much as you did. That's, that's really kind of the lesson that I've learned, uh, over the last week or so.
1: Yeah. That's right. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's always a little scary. I think this is probably my fourth, maybe fifth time leading a podcast, but I have lessons were learned. That's uh, right. The
2: first time, uh, not the, the live. The live uh, podcast that we did—it was a Mets game, right? Where like they came back and won yes. it, and yes. and, uh, and Freed hit a walk-off hit. We're just like live podcasting it. We we have learned not to. We have waited until games end uh, That's right. for for you and I to
1: do that stuff. Even though know, that was hysterically funny, that was um, that was an all-time great. Gosh, was that last season? That was an all-time. That was the game the Braves were down maybe six runs in the ninth. And yep, just we for context, Eric and I were like, you know what? We have stuff to do. We're just going to start this podcast early. And of course, the Braves scored. I think seven in the ninth. Was it the Mets or was it the Marlins? It was definitely. It was
2: definitely. an all team, I want to say it was
1: the Mets, but I, I yeah. you could be
2: right about that. It could, I, I thought it was a Mets game. It might be a Marlins game. I don't know. Uh, a listener far more uh, committed to remembering what we say on our podcast than we are, I'm sure, will let us know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was right. definitely one of the two, though.
1: It was. Well, good to be on with you, Eric. Uh, And as we noted, some real-life baseball games. If maybe any new listeners to the podcast, uh, this is our standard Sunday afternoon slash Sunday evening show. Uh, If you're new to the pod, we look back on the week that was and then also preview the the games ahead this upcoming week. Um, Not a ton of news that we didn't expect anyway leading up to opening day on Thursday. Uh, The Braves did announce their opening day roster, um, although really – Almost the entire week, we had a pretty good idea of what it was going to look like. No real surprises. Of course, no Ronald Acuna in there. Hopefully, just a couple of more weeks. A lot of pitching, which was also to be expected with uh, the expanded rosters and guys just not having as long of uh, a spring training to get ready. Um, Eric, did you have any real big takeaways from once the roster was finalized?
2: So... I, I understood the explanation of having William Contreras on the roster once they finally said it. It's just that the, the bench spots. What all it really matters is that the bat is the best guy you can have in there, and if that's the case, then that's why some of these other names, you know, the Pat Velikas of the world, you know, the the other guys who end up not making the roster. Or just got cut all together and move on to different spots. It's that you really want your the guy who you think is going to hit the best there, as opposed to what position they play. Just because those double switches aren't really happening, those pinch hitting and substituting guys isn't really happening with the DH in there. So, if they think that Contreras is the best bet that they can have there, I'm I'm all for it. Um, I was surprised pleasantly that uh, Spencer Strider made the roster. I still maintain, even though he looked surprisingly decent today, uh, that Sean Newcomb shouldn't have made this roster. I'm kind of over the, the the sean newcomb experiment however i will say that he did have a good experience today so like i would have had jacob webb on this roster over sean newcomb but again that's a guy who has an option versus a guy who doesn't so there's there's reasons to not get too hung up on it and it's hard to be too upset with the composition of the braves bullpen right now if i'm just being honest i think that they're it's one of the better groups in the whole league so you know if there's a one or two guys in there that i would i would have some quibbles over it's not worth get, you know getting too up in arms about so You know they went with they went with Tucker Davidson and Kyle Wright. I maintain a quiet amount of skepticism about Kyle Wright uh, as a starter, but at the same time, and that certainly did not look correct on Saturday when he looked awesome. So you know, do I have any like particular hot takes about what the roster should be like? Not really. It seemed like a lot of the slots were pretty well set. And, you know, making the the, the starter decisions that they did along with some of the bullpen arms they did, it's pretty clear that they're going to give a lot of guys a good amount of innings through these first month or so while they kind of get guys stretched back out. And from there, you know, once those decisions start being made, you cut down even further. I might feel more strongly uh, in some cases than others, but right now this seems fine.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think my biggest takeaway when you really just saw the entire roster laid out was like even without Acuna – This roster is really, really good. Like, there's some really good depth. Of course, the lineup is not quite as good as what it's going to be, and maybe the lineup looks a little funky without Ronald at the top right now. They really just don't have a great leadoff option. Eddie Rosario had (laughs) a rough—yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, The
2: outfield defense is real bad.
1: It is, yeah. And it's amazing, though, how—I mean, any roster, if you take away arguably the best player on the planet away, of course it's not going to look quite as good, quite as normal, but— um, thankfully, hopefully just a couple of weeks out from that. Um, speaking of Ronald Acuna Jr., Eric, and this was one before, uh, before we started doing the podcast, Eric and I were talking a little bit. And I think by now everyone knows the story. So Wednesday night, Ronald Acuna Jr. on an Instagram live was doing an interview and Freddie Freeman was brought up. And if you somehow haven't heard the story, the 15 second synopsis would be that Ronald was not super happy with the way that he was treated when he came up as a, as a rookie and as a top prospect back in 2018, 2019. Um, he, I think the word Ronald used was that they clashed at times, Ronald and Freddie. But that being said, um, Ronald came the following day. This was Wednesday night. Then Thursday did an interview, thought it was exaggerated a little bit, um, tried to clarify a little bit, his comments And then thankfully, Freddie Freeman later that afternoon did an interview with MLB Network and poured a a big jug of cold water on any fire that was still left. Um, Eric, at this point, I think everybody has heard all of the hot takes on this one. What was your opinion of of this? uh, We'll call it a story. And um, it was it was just odd to me. And it seemed like one of those things that was probably overplayed a bit just being 24 hours from opening day.
2: Yeah, I think this is one of those things that started off as a kind of a feeble attempt to get a bunch of cl- clicks on Reddit and got turned into something that it ultimately wasn't. I don't think that anyone who listens to this podcast should be surprised that Ronnie and Freddie weren't, like, bestest of friends, right? I mean, there was multiple times, like, during playoff runs that Freddie very openly threw Ronald under the bus. Uh Freddie is also kind of famously kind of an old-school, bit of a hazing type, you're going to get out there and play every day, I don't care if your foot's falling off type. And that is just not how Ronnie is. He's just not. Now, at the same time, you know, we never saw anything that, you know, in the dugout in terms of they were always interacting in positive ways. Freddie would always go out of his way to say that he would think that the, the favorite to win any given NLVP was Ronnie. He thinks he was one of the best players on the planet. I'm sure he still thinks that. Ronnie has said nice things about Freddie in the past too. I, I think that they were teammates and they got along well, but I don't think that they were ever best of friends. And I think that's just because they're two very different personalities. And again, just kind of one of those things that got, you know, I, it wasn't even taken out of context. It was just, you know, it was put out there as kind of this grand sweeping indictment as their, of their, you know, relationships as people. When in reality, they got along fine. I never, no one should have realistically thought that they would have been best of friends. And, now Ronnie's like, look, he's not on the team anymore, and I'm not gonna, you know, you know, weep over the guy when he's on a different team than doing just fine for himself, and you know, I have a job to do. You know, it's again, it's not like losing his best friend off the team, which is what some people were acting like. You know, it's just gonna be like there should be a shrine in the locker room because Freddie Freeman's not there, <laughs> not there. You know, it's just yeah. not that's that's yeah. not how a lot of these guys operate. They have a job to do. It's just that simple.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's very well said, and uh, again, I think it was just one of those things that to me, my real opinion on it was this, that players are so robotic with their interviews. Very rarely do professional yeah. athletes ever say anything remotely controversial because they are trained from day one to you know, not be controversial when speaking with media. And of course, this was a an interview, I believe, uh, with a Dominican reporter. I'm, I'm blanking on who it was. Um, but nonetheless, like, it, we just don't hear comments like this very often. And look, the fact of the matter is there are 40-plus guys who share the same clubhouse over, what, seven months out of the year. As you yep. said, they're not all going to be best friends. And and think about your job, right? Are you best friends with all 40 people or however many people are in your office? Uh, of course not. And I think you're absolutely right. I think they had a great respect for the way that both guys played the game. Um, I'm glad that that Freddie and Ronald uh, seem to have buried, I don't even want to say buried the hatchet because I don't think there was ever a hatchet to begin with. I think this was just a case of, of Ronald being 20 years old when he came up and hit the way he plays is different than a lot of guys. The way he just, he's so much energy and is 100 miles an hour all the time. And, um, I think Freddie was probably trying to give him some tough love and Freddie even explained in his interview, which was pretty good. Again, it was Thursday afternoon about, you know, explaining to Ronald, this is what we wear on the road. This is how you wear your hat. This is how you wear your eye black. And if you're 20 years old and have never been told how to act on a baseball field before, it may, maybe, maybe it did rub Ronald the wrong way. But again, we're we're talking about four years ago at this point, and these guys are professionals. And as you noted, Freddie's doing just fine for himself out in L.A. And Ronald, of course, should be back on the field hopefully in a couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, Exactly. And again, there's two very different two different, very different guys who have a very had a very long and successful run together. This is, not you know, again, not surprising. They're not best friends. But at the same time, it's 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 not like we saw fistfights and, you know, it's not a <laughs> price Harper, John Papelbon, Jonathan Papelbon thing or anything uh, like that. Just, you know, just, yeah. you know, just two guys who are very different. And that's completely fine.
1: Yep, absolutely. Uh, moving on Thursday night, opening day. Very exciting. Um, though the game itself was kind of a stinker. So, uh, all the excitement, all the pregame festivities, um, I, I, hate to blame baseball games on bad luck, but this game just was bad luck central. Um, you look at Max Fried who made the start. I thought Max was fine. I don't know how you felt, Eric. He was, uh, had some real velocity going, which a handful of guys around the league did not have their full velocity this week. But, um, I I thought Max pitched pretty well. He had some really bad luck. I think the stat of the night was uh, in the history of StatCast, and I think StatCast began in 2012. uh, Max became the second pitcher in StatCast history to give up more than four hits on baseball's hit less than 70 miles an hour off the bat. So it was Bloop and Dunk City. Uh, He was not giving up home runs all over the yard. He wasn't playing... Uh, They they weren't splitting the gaps. It was just an unfortunate night. And then, of course, uh, the game was pretty close early on. And then an unfortunate hanging slider from Colin McHugh uh, more or less ended it. But um, with all the excitement around opening day, everyone always wants to start the season off with a win. And it was just kind of a a deflating loss to open the year.
2: Yeah, it definitely had some um, it definitely felt like that Philly series to open the season last year. Where it just felt like, come on, is there another dribbler yeah. or another another yeah. bloop that's gonna find grass while the Braves are just hitting absolute missiles right at guys? Uh, you know, some guys are just like catching balls and they're just desperately hoping they don't take their head off. Uh just stuff like that. You mean like Marcel hit one and that pitcher that, that was purely self preservation. That yeah. catch was yeah. he was just trying not to be killed and that that could have given the, the Braves some runs and that that could have changed the entire tenor of the game. It was a bad pitch from McHugh for sure. But, again, this is the first start of the season. You're going to make some mistakes, and, you know, jury did a good job making a, you know, taking a good swing on a mistake. And that's ultimately kind of, you know, baseball's a game of inches, and when you're just getting, you know, into the swing of things, that's how it goes. But I, I, I didn't take anything particularly bad from it. You know, Austin Riley looks great. Uh, you know, Marcel Zuna, as much as I don't want him on the team, he he looks like he's he's hitting the ball well. Matt, o, Matt Olson, he like all these guys look dialed in just, you know, some balls found gloves that you normally they wouldn't. And in other cases, you know, some balls that should have found gloves just found grass instead and just, you know, right out of reach out of guys. It was a frustrating game to be certain, but nothing that, like, made me go, wow, this is going to be a problem. Um, hmm. And we definitely had some highlights as well.
1: We did have highlights. And uh, Austin Riley hit a, a big-time home run to left center on a 98-mile-an-hour fastball that was in. So – he and Matt Olsen especially. Yeah, those two guys look fantastic. Um, to me, the most exciting part of the evening was Spencer Strider and he came out and was just pumping 100 mile an hour gas. Um, I think he had five strikeouts in two innings. Um, and the Reds were just kind of staring at it like, who the hell is this kid? Like <laughs> obviously there's not a lot of big league video on, on Strider just based on, uh, his rapid rise in the minors last year and, he looked really good and man, it's just, it was just one night, but Holy cow. If that Spencer Strider going forward, uh, the Braves have a legitimate weapon to use. I, I don't care how they use him. If they want to use him as like a starter opener type, if they want to use him as a late inning reliever, or if they want to use him as a multi-inning guy, I, I don't really care. Just, just find a way to get him on the mound. Yeah.
2: It's funny. I've talked about this on road to Atlanta a couple times, uh, in the system, uh, including the major leagues, just the entire organization, when Spencer's fastball is at the top of the zone or rising out of it, there isn't a better fastball in the organization. I'm confident in that. I was thinking, and I'll kind of put it to you here, is that, again, this is a one game sample, but we kind of, we know what it looks like now, right? Is that when it's dialed in, it's up, and it's, he's throwing it really hard, and it has like that backspin that like it rises out of the zone. You just can't hit it. It just can't. I mean, I don't. There's no better example of why baseball is an impossible sport than thinking, OK, I need to figure out how to hit that ever, you know, <laughs> right. Um like to you again, when he's on, we we know what it looks like when it's good. There's going to be times when it's not. He gets it too low uh, in the zone or it's flatter. Those things are going to happen with him that we've we saw that happen. He hasn't he doesn't always have his command, but. When he's on, I mean, like the list of fastballs that are better than that in the league is very small to me. Is there anyone that kind of comes to mind to you? Because I'm telling you, that's that that's a special pitch. It's not just velocity; it moves. Yep.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's only so many guys on the planet who can throw a baseball 100 miles an hour. Um, yeah, yep. Like again, I mean, and and I don't know. I, I shame on me for not knowing this, Eric. Long term, what do you think Spencer Strider is? Is he is he an ultimately a starter? Is he a bullpen? Weapon is he? Is he a closer? What do you ultimately see with him?
2: Well, we had him ranked very highly, and that you know, with that comes the idea that we think he can start. Um, the fastball is obviously fantastic. The slider is more of kind of a power pitch now, and he's gotten really good at it, and it does get some silly swings. The question is the changeup. The question is uh, against guys, particularly lefties that can hit velocity. Can you can you keep them honest with the changeup? And that's an improved pitch. Keep in mind, he had Tommy John surgery in college, and he didn't really throw a changeup there. Hasn't really thrown a changeup much at all since high school, and we're talking about a high school changeup at that point. So the transition to a starter for him is one that I think is going to require some repetition. He holds the velocity late in starts. He's still piping 97, 98 at 80, 90 pitches. That's still happening. It's just a question of what do the secondaries ultimately look like? Over a long season, and I think he's a starter, but I do wonder a bit that he's so good right now in the role that he's in as to whether or not the Braves are like, no, well, let's just keep him in the bullpen <laughs>
0: yeah. for for this right. year.
2: And because are you really going to send that arm down the AAA when rosters contract and yeah. you know keep you know a Sean Newcomb or a Darren O'Day in your in your bullpen? I'm a little skeptical that that actually happens. I think that Snicker is going to be like, look, we need to keep this guy around. And yeah. if that's the case, you wonder if he's actually going to get the chance to get stretched back out. It's not the question that I don't think he can do it. I just don't – like if he doesn't – all of a sudden he's just in the bullpen the whole year. When is he going to get those reps to actually start? And that's, yeah. uh, that's an open question.
1: Well, and as we've seen, uh, it's a fine line with developing young pitchers. And – you have both the good and the bad with this example that that just honestly kind of came to me. You think about the way the Braves brought on Max Fried and Max was primarily used out of the bullpen in his first real taste of the majors. I think he maybe made a start or two and just clearly was not ready to be a, you know, a six inning starting pitcher type, but they, they brought him along nicely in the bullpen and he was a real weapon. I think it was the 2019 NLDS where he was so good and, Max said he really learned about attacking major league hitters and what you needed to do to be successful learning out of the bullpen. And obviously Max Fried has turned into one of the best left-handed pitchers in the game. And then you look at somebody like Kyle Wright, and I believe it was Brian Snitker or maybe Anthopoulos who admitted this last year, but they, they jerked Kyle around too much with his development. One week he was in Gwinnett. The next week he was making a spot start in Atlanta the next week, he was sitting in the bullpen in Atlanta but not pitching. The next week, he was back in Gwinnett. And I think that, that's difficult, right? You don't know where you're going to be at any given point. And, and that's a very fine line to, to balance with, with arms like Spencer where you have, as we just said, there's only so many on the planet who can throw 100 miles an hour. Um, I'm really curious to see. It's, it's Quite honestly, it's probably something over the next, what, three-plus weeks as they have the expanded rosters uh, through the end of April I, I think this might almost resolve itself just as Spencer continues to get opportunities. Sure. If he keeps going well, I think as you just noted, it would be really difficult to send him down to Gwinnett to, to uh, stretch him out a little bit as a starter. Um, but maybe of course, as, as there's more video on him, he's going to have to make adjustments naturally as, as big leaguers see him a little bit more.
2: Yeah. And you know, it's, it's a funny thing. You have to remember this time last year, Spencer was making a start at low A. (laughs) And that's the difference between Fred – between Freed and Strider is that Strider didn't have a ton of experience, period, in college again because of the injury. And he started all the way up until he got to Gwinnett last year and got moved to the bullpen when everyone realized that the only reason they make that move is that they're thinking about bringing him up to the big leagues in the bullpen. But that's only one year worth of starts. So the question becomes – do they care that much about the, the like, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is he doesn't, hasn't developed a whole lot as a starter or of a reliever, really. <laughs> and, you know, are they that concerned about going backwards in one direction or the other? If they are, then, you know, if he's going to be a starter, he probably needs some more starts. It's not outside the wrong possibility that he ends up making some starts at the big league level either. You know, he's, you know, if they go, you know what, we really love this arm, but you know, the only way to keep him around is to let him be in the rotation or get some spot starts here and there. Again, that's something that kind of resolves itself. I'm fascinated to see what they do because from the moment they drafted Strider, he's been fascinating because no one thought that, that he was, well, I say no one. A lot of people who were like ranking draft prospects that year it was that weird year where there's only five rounds of the draft. No one had like Spencer Strider as like a top 100 draft prospect. Very few people thought he, like he was even going to be like in the conversation to get drafted. And the Braves mm-hmm. drafted him, and everyone's like, "Really? This is this is the guy yeah. that they're picking with yeah. only four picks." And they look incredibly smart right now. And it's a live, live arm. And it's it, it whatever role he's going to be in, and he's tantalizing. But having a starter who can pipe 100 miles an hour, that's a hard thing to just give up on. But at the same time, for what the Braves read right now, I get it. So I, I, he's it's just one of those types of guys that I just don't have a great read on as to what the correct decision is. Because you're right, that got different guys react different ways. And I think that you know just from talking to Spencer, he, you know, whatever role he's in in the major leagues, he doesn't care as long as he's there. But you never really know how guys gonna react until you kind of start, you know, ultimately making changes to what you know what what are you doing with him
1: hmm. yeah yeah it's a uh it's not a problem but it's a good problem to have when you're not entirely sure what to do with your your prized arm who can throw 100 miles an hour um so we'll see as you noted we'll we'll see what what over the next couple of weeks hold and either way i think spencer's going to throw some beginnings for this organization it's just a matter of when that time comes and and what his ultimate role is going to be Um, All right, Eric, we're going to take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors, and then we will shift to a couple of better games and then an odd way to close out the weekend. We'll be right back.
0: What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So, tune into the future of entrepreneurship of professor G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the ProfG G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, Eric. Friday night was more fun. The Braves won seven to six. Never a bad thing to get a win out of the way. Um, however, uh it was kind of an odd game. Really, this whole series was a little weird. The Braves went up seven nothing early in the third inning. Um Charlie Morton was good, five and a third, only two hits, one walk, five strikeouts. Uh Matt Olson got his first hit. Matt Olson had a tremendous opening weekend. He was probably the best player on the field uh in the series. Um he went three yeah, for probably. five. Yeah, yeah, three for five. I think he just missed a home run as well. Um but then the bullpen ran into some Uh, trouble and and ultimately I think the the go-ahead run actually came to the plate at one point the ninth inning so um AJ Minter was not very sharp Will Smith gave a clean inning um and then Kenley Jansen again on theme for the Reds the entire weekend Kenley Jansen came in made his Braves debut in the ninth up 7-3 gave up three runs although all of them were on like soft contact even Kenley kind of looked up at the clouds at one point like man what do I have to do here um Again, it's so early in the season, I don't think you can overreact, but at the end of the day, the bullpen gave up six innings, uh, or six innings, gave up six runs over the final four and a half innings. Um, it was not the best start, but ultimately you get the win and that's, that's, uh, that's what matters at the end of the day.
2: Yeah. Again, I don't, with these like first appearances, like weird stuff like this with soft contacts going to happen earlier in the season to me, just because like, for example, infielders are just not going to be like, super quick Twitch guys right now. You know what I mean? (laughs) They're not, they're not going to be like reacting the same way that they would when they've got some innings under, under their belts and they're like getting used to like the, the pace of the play. And, you know, obviously Truist Park was absolutely bumping and there's a lot going on this weekend. I I, I don't make too much of it. I will say that I really liked what I saw that Charlie Morton. You always worry when a guy is that old, (laughs) that that, like, when is father time going to catch up with them? Yeah. And we still don't know if he can make it through a full season. Um, you know he's coming off a broken leg. Nothing indicates that he's you know about to you know hit this like, crazy downswing or anything like that. But it was nice to him to be able to go into the six innings, strike out guys, was seemed in control throughout the game. That nothing was concerning. I, the biggest thing for me, I would have just not logged into Twitter if Matt Olson started this season like 0 for 12. Because it would have been a nightmare, you know (laughs) what I mean? It would have, yeah. And all all he did was just hit missiles, great at-bats. You know, there was a couple where he got blown away by guys, but at the same time, like, it was like situations where, like, those guys were blowing away everybody, and everyone was just trying to, you know, like, you know, against, you know, you're going to have bad at-bats sometimes early in the season. But for the most part, he's just been really good the entirety of the series. Uh, Had a really good game on Friday. They just – they were just relentless early. Uh <laughs> I wish they'd be able to tack on a few more runs to make it a little less interesting late in the game. But yeah. again, I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about, worry about AJ Minter. We've seen him just not have particularly great outings. Uh You know, sometimes that cutter doesn't cut. Sometimes the fastball just creeps over the plate. Sometimes the command isn't exactly where he wants it, but over time, he's, he's generally pretty good about kind of course correcting. And in Kenley's case, I mean, It's like any, we've seen these against the Braves, really. We saw a bunch of them already this past weekend. And, you know, it's just something that happens. It's just, you know, sometimes like these, you know, it's the Luke Jackson experience, right? Like, you know, these little slow rollers that make their way through, like, you know, balls that barely, like like, flares that barely land fair. fair. He's not a guy that I'm super, I'm not worried about Ken Lee Jansen. I'm not worried about AJ Minter. We've, we've seen what these guys can do. And, you know, again, just had some bad, bad luck on both sides this, this weekend. And you, ultimately they got out, of the, out with a series with a series split and you know that 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 Friday night games just kind of shows you that you know a lot went right even though the stuff that went wrong made things far more interesting than i think any of us wanted them to be but you know yeah. there's a lot of positives to take away nothing that maybe go this could be a problem
1: no no and thankfully Saturday night Kyle Wright was impressive so bullpen got a little uh, a little hairy on Friday but Kyle Wright answered in a big way uh, six scoreless at six strikeouts and just one walk. Um, as you know, and as folks of the podcast know, I am all in on Kyle. I'm all in on Kyle for like four years now, but at some point it's gonna work out, Eric. I am convinced Yeah, um, that's how that works yep. he yep. he uh he looked really good. I mean, he threw seventy six pitches over six plus innings, which is very efficient. Um, interestingly enough, um, he was always more of a of a fastball slash sinker. And slider guy, uh, he threw 31 curveballs on Saturday night. 31. He struck out Joey Votto in one at bat. He threw three of the four pitches he threw Joey Votto, who is as good of a strike zone command as anyone in the league. He threw three curveballs to strike him out. Um, I was very impressed with Kyle. He was efficient. He was attacking the zone. He was in a great rhythm. I, he was throwing to William Contreras. I don't think he shook off a single sign the entire night. Um, I was really impressed and I'm curious to hear what you thought of him.
2: So whenever I watch Kyle, I always wonder, okay, what's he going to look the second time through the order? Because I've watched him a long time now and I have been fooled before. You know, through three innings, he has six strikeouts and looks amazing. And then the wheels come off when he starts changing his approach, starts trying to get cute, uh, starts really ultimately stops trusting his stuff and, you know, just tries to, you know, like, you know, take stuff off and try to command and ends up not being successful at it. It's not the guy he is. And as a result, he starts walking guys and guys start being able to really keen on like when you're throwing your fastball at 95 and you start throwing it at 92, all of a sudden it's a lot less in, not less interesting and guys can get a better look at it. The transition the slider has always been either it's really good or it's really not, and I think that it's really interesting the, the we we saw this transition in the playoffs too is that he's just throwing more of the curveballs. he just has an idea of kind of what he wants to do and the pitches that he trusts and when he wants to throw them. He looked great, it's just full stop. it wasn't a, it wasn't a just a you know he wow, thank God he got three good innings out of him before and they got him out of there before he messed it up. I mean the entirety of that start he was super efficient. <laughs> those swings that he got out of Votto on those curveballs cracked me up because that is not a guy that looks silly in at bats. He just doesn't. No. No. Um, it, was, it was
1: filthy. I mean, he, yeah, he looked it, good.
2: Yep. Genuinely, really, really good. So, yeah. I, I mean, I remain skeptical because, again, I've had, my, I've had my heart broken by this man a few times. <laughs> but and that's I will fair. say, this yeah. is the, 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 definitely, I can't think of a start that he's looked better in the major leagues. Yeah. Like, period. Um, He's had some good starts in the minor leagues, but this is a really, really good one.
1: It is. And in the spring, there was so much smoke around Kyle. um, A handful of players went out of their way to say how good he looked and not only just how good he looked on the mound, but just, um, you know, psychologically, the way he was walking around, the way he was attacking, the way he was preparing. um, I think that's a big deal for Kyle. He talked about having a pretty extensive um, battle with the mental side of the game. Um, it's easy for us to overlook, but these are human beings just like anyone else. And um, the time he has spent with a sp- uh, sports psychologist seemed like it is really paying dividend. And again, after everything you and I have said today, we could follow it up with, yeah, but it's only one series. It's only four games. But um, I think with, with just all of the positive vibes, if you will, that, that were around Kyle this spring, uh, for him to follow it up, it, it was really impressive, and he's he's going to face lineups that are better than the Reds. He's going to inevitably face some adversity, and um, as I think as as big league hitters then get a little more familiar with how he's attacking now with that curveball, he's inevitably going to have to make some more adjustments. But I think it was just a really really promising way uh, for Kyle to open up. Um, elsewhere, another interesting bullpen note, and looking at it now, it, it seems like. Basically, everybody in the bullpen made at least one appearance this weekend, um, if not two, and I am sure that is by design by Snitker, just to get everyone some reps. Uh, Darren O'Day pitched the eighth inning and looked pretty good. Um, he is someone who, I think as long as he is healthy, is going to be a, a pretty reliable and, and uh, someone you can give the ball to. I was a little surprised it was the eighth inning of a 2-1 to game at that point, or I guess it was 2 nothing still. Um, but any, any surprise or, or rapid reaction to Darren O'Day being one of the last arms out of the pen?
2: Well, I'll be some more surprised if it's happening in August, right? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. that, I think the biggest thing right now, and like Snickers talked about it, it's been just kind of everyone, it's the elephant in the room, is that the condensed spring training, a lot of, and we, we might be seeing this with Ian, you know, not everyone's looked peak period. And it's because that condensed spring training means that pitchers have really had to work hard to ramp up. And, you know, as Snit said, like, I think a lot of guys are dealing with dead arms right now. And the way that the Braves are dealing with it, I think, is the correct way to do it, which is, you know, just space things out, understand that, you know, even though, like, Darren O'Day is not going to be this team's eighth inning guy. Like, I go ahead and just tell you that now. Unless things have gone awry, he's not the setup guy, right? But at the same time, you know, You see, like, you know, Matzik isn't quite throwing as hard as he was. You don't see, you know, like, you know, Kenley didn't look like Pete Kenley and things like that. You know, give guys days off. You kind of have to do it right now just because of a very unique situation with coming out of the lockout is that you have to kind of keep these guys healthy and let them build back up, get back in game shape. And, you know, when you're running, if you're running Darren O'Day out there, as long as his, you know, hamstrings, which a pair of Appear to be made out of Kleenex. As long as they're there, then he'll be fine. You know, he's not going to do anything that's going to necessarily embarrass you out there. This isn't the same sort of bullpen situation where, you know, you'd feel like that there was, there, there are, I will say that I think that maybe Sean Newcomb is kind of the white flag guy in the, in the bullpen where like, you know, when in doubt, you know, you put him in there, uh, to eat innings. Uh, there have been other names that have featured in that role for the Braves over the course, but I don't think Darren, o, Darren O'Day is one of those guys. You know, as long as he's healthy, you're going to need and you want him to get some value out of him early in the season, just in case he like, you know, his health does falter later. He's just an older guy. But I didn't take anything from it other than the Braves are being very careful with how they're managing this pitching staff to make sure these guys get built back up. Because, you know, for these early season games, they have a lot of great options in the bullpen and they're going to spread out the load a bit just to kind of get everyone healthy and back in the swing of things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's well said. Uh, thankfully, Will Smith came in ninth inning showing off some of that bullpen versatility that you just mentioned. Uh, he also gave up a a weak ninth inning hit uh, to Joey Votto against the shift. Again, it was just kind of the theme. Um, the Reds just hit a lot of baseballs where nobody was standing and it it ended up leading to a series split, but Will was able to close out the game. Uh, also, pick Will Smith
2: to give up a run. By the way,
1: of course, it's no longer the playoffs. He always he uh, he likes to keep us on our feet. How's that? He likes to bring a little yeah, drama.
2: Like, not quite September 2021, where it felt like he'd come in in all these like two zero or three one games and just immediately give up a solo home run. Yep. But <laughs> but you know, <laughs> just like immediately, just get it out of the way. But then would get the rest, get the rest of the guys. But you know, again, not something I'm super worried about considering the bad luck this, the Braves had this yeah. series
1: postseason hero will smith forever and always he was good. Um, he was good night shift ready night shift ready forever uh sunday afternoon was frustrating ian anderson uh did not look good uh let's hope it was just a a product of a shorter spring and just not being fully stretched out but um, ian did not make it out of the third inning today gave up three hits five runs walked five batters and only struck out one um Really had no command of the strike zone. Uh, the game began with a 10 pitch, uh, at bat to Jonathan India. Maybe that threw him off a little bit and just kind of wore him down. But man, um, I think the Braves and you and I and everyone out there have to hope this was just a, uh, just a bad day for Ian because he was not sharp in the least.
2: Yeah. And it's worth mentioning that his last spring start wasn't good either. Um, and I think that he is one of those guys that just hasn't gotten just hasn't gotten right quite yet, has just things that he needs to work on. He's a younger guy that, you know, He maybe he's just trying to figure out exactly how he needs to get back to where he needs to be. I don't think he's off by some, like, crazy amount or anything. Um, the, the walks are concerning, to be sure. And, again, you know, starting your day off with a 10-pitch at-bat to Johnson India probably isn't exactly what he was looking for. I'm sure he kind of wanted to be able to settle in a bit. But I think he is one of those guys that, you know, is like maybe dealing with a bit of dead arms, having a bit of trouble just kind of getting rent back up again. And I'm, I, we've seen Ian just be good for like two straight years. So I'm just not, he's just not a guy that I'm concerned about long term. Just, you know, he's kind of have a tough time getting going so far. But he's a guy that I, I'm sure that they'll be. But looking at some game tape and saying like, you know, you're, you're doing this or you're doing that. You need to tighten this up. And once all those things happen, he's just going to be just fine because he, it's not like yeah. Ian doesn't have a history of just having like these, these kind of these turd games where he's just, he's just, he just throws too many pitches and just can't, and just can't get past, you know, the early parts of the game. But he also has a history of, you know, being really efficient and getting things yeah. together. So he's just not something I'm worried about long term per se, but it's something worth keeping an eye on.
1: Yeah, for sure. And if he's continuing to struggle to throw strikes in his next start, I believe it'll be next weekend in San Diego. If this continues for two or three more starts, then sure. Maybe you, you start to panic a little bit. But uh, just a bad day. Thankfully, for the sake of the bullpen and the pitching staff, uh, the bullpen was, was pretty solid. Sean Newcomb came in and promptly threw a wild pitch and then gave up a, a jam two-run single, which is unfortunate to make it 5 nothing. But after that... Uh, just one more run. Newcomb gave up a solo homer, but, uh, Colin McHugh, who, uh, looked fantastic. You see why he has the crazy strikeout numbers. Five strikeouts in two and a third innings. Um, Tyler Thornburg came in and I thought threw the ball pretty well. So again, just speaking to the depth of, depth of the bullpen, um, it, it could have been one of those games when your starter doesn't make it out of the third that it could have gotten ugly. And I thought, um, I thought the depth really kind of shined here and, uh, again, all of these guys, especially early on, I think it was good to get them some work today because, as we know, especially in this middle, being in the middle of this 14 games and 14-day run the Braves are in, um, everyone's going to be counted on this this, uh, this April. And then as the season progresses, of course, then I think roles get defined a little bit more.
2: Yeah, I don't think that the Braves like burned anybody out of the bullpen. Like All the big names got got saved from today. There wasn't like one of those runaway innings where you just had to put in, you know, a mentor or Tyler Matt, Tyler Matzik just to get out of the inning and mercifully end it. Uh, they just went with, you know, the, the guys that I think that they were kind of planning on relying on a little bit other than that, like stretch when he first came into the third inning, you know, Newcomb actually looked okay. He gave them some really valuable innings, uh, in relief, which was nice. Uh, I thought McHugh and Thornburg looked really good. McHugh particularly. He was seemingly striking out guys at will for a little while there. Um, the the biggest takeaway from the game, though, I mean, like that – taking a 101-mile fastball from Hunter Green, who made his debut against the Braves, which, by the way, any guy – any rookie who's making a debut against the Braves, I'll go ahead and tell you now, the odds of him being really – like putting together a crazy stat line against the Braves historically is very high. So <laughs> something that was like super yes. – I was not surprised yeah. at all that I – mean, especially with the kind of arm that he has – but, you know, Travis Darno hits a home run and then Matt Olson turns around a 101 mile fastball and sends it 110 miles an hour on a line. It was just a line drive. I can't believe that ball got out. It just never came down, uh, and just hit the dead away cent- center. I'm not, you know, for those who are, you know, wondering if he was going to be able to, you know, be that power output, uh, with Freddie out of the lineup, I don't think anyone should be worried after what he was able to do this week. Uh, I'm a little surprised, you know, and he just got a little bit unlucky with kind of, where where some balls were hit this series, but I wouldn't be surprised if he hits 40 plus this year, because that guy has some thumps.
1: Yeah. I mean, he, Matt Olson is the complete hitter. I know we, we've talked about him a bit. And again, he is not a household name for a lot of folks, especially on the East coast. Just he's kind of forgotten about in Oakland for the first couple of years of his career. But I mean, the dude mashes, I think he has a really, really good eye at the plate as well. Like, I'm gonna guess I, I didn't look this up, but I'm gonna guess he swung it two pitches out of the zone over the four games, maybe three. Like he he did not expand. Um, and how is this for an opening line uh, for his uh, upcoming eight years with the Braves? A .571 batting average, a .647 OBP, and a .929 slugging. Uh, that's pretty good, Eric. I am yeah, that'll uh, play. I yeah, mind. I don't know about you, quite obviously. I, I don't think he's going to put together the greatest offensive season of all time. Uh, but it is uh, pretty clear that the Braves, uh, again, I don't want to beat a dead horse. It's four games. There's a long ways to go. But it sure looks like if there was any concern about Matt Olson not being comfortable coming back home to where he grew up or trying to fill Freddie Freeman's shoes, uh, he was really, really impressive. And you think about this lineup once Ronald gets going – You get Ronald at the top with Olsen and Austin Riley, who looked really good this week as well. Um, The top end of the lineup, at least, is just going to be dangerous.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's danger throughout it, you know. I mean, like some guys who, like, didn't have particularly great opening series, like Dansby Swanson, uh, Ozzie Albies is another one. Eddie Rosario is another guy. I mean, it's not like we haven't seen those. those they're, I just named probably the three streakiest hitters on the entire game, on the entire team. So there's going to be times where they're just going to single-handedly carry the roster. So uh, it, th- they're going to be a really dangerous team, particularly when Ronnie comes back. Uh, I will say that we probably need to have a discussion about the base running decisions that were made with Matt Olson because look, I understand that Ron Washington has never seen a a fly ball that he's not willing to send someone home on but Matt Olson getting thrown out twice in the same game at home was felt particularly brutal um uh, yeah. that the the joke that before today's game was that uh that Trevis was giving Matt Olson uh base running advice and and Matt Olson's like I'm not sure how good it is that that the catchers have me give me advice about uh about base running and, you know, whatever the scouting report that they have on me from Oakland, uh, if, if it says anything other than I'm slow, it's probably not right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but you know, did score on a sack fly today. So we have that going for us. He did overall, good for him. He, yeah. He did. He did score on the sack fly. So that was good news. Uh, but yeah, I just, I, you know, I like, I, there's a lot of great at bats in the series, even the, the guys that didn't necessarily have great series. I mean, like Ozzy had a, a 10 pitch at bat against Hunter Green today where it ended up in a walk. There's, there's a lot of good things that are coming. Early season, you take an early season split in a four game set every single time. You just do, yeah. you know what I mean. You're just getting to you're like it, everything's weird. Everyone's just trying to like get their feet out under them. And when if you can get out of that with being 500, that's perfectly fine. Even though this Reds team isn't one that I'm like super scared of, they have some guys who can play. You know, Jonathan India is a good player. Joey Votto is still a very dangerous hitter. Hunter Green can pipe up 100 100 mile an hour fastballs at will. It seems like. I'm not nothing about what happened in this series was concerning in the long term. Just again, guys getting their feet under them. If we're you know in three weeks and you know we have bullpen guys that still can't get outs, uh, or you know Ian Anderson or Max Freed you know can't get past the third inning, then we'll have, be having a different conversation. But I, I don't think that's what we're be really talking about.
1: No, I agree completely. And as you just noted, the Reds are not terrible. If they went two and two against like the Baltimore Orioles. Maybe this would be a slightly different tone, but man, we got 158 games to go. Um, shake out the cobwebs. Charlie Morton had an interview, I think, on Saturday, and even he was like, "As great as all the festivities are this week, with after winning the World Series and the the beautiful championship rings, we should probably mention those." At yeah, least.
2: I was about to say we want to talk about those.
1: Because yeah, I I know the uh, the broadcast booth got one, Eric. I don't know. I mean, I think podcasters should also get a World Series ring. Do you agreed. think? I'll make some calls. I'll make some calls tomorrow to the front office and see yeah, what we can uh, work out.
2: Yeah, I was about to say I, I know for certain that they have multiple tiers of these rings. I don't know if you're aware of this. Not all of them oh, open. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm like sure. Not, not not all of them open. Uh, and yeah. it just kinda depends on where in the organization. I actually saw some people like thought that they like that the rings were like overly gaudy and you know, all what? that stuff. My, I my, love that. There there were some there were some takes that they didn't like the rings. And here's what I'll say to those people. That is the thing that you get as a player. That signifies that you won the World Series. That thing needs to be as gaudy and big as humanly possible. <laughs> yes. Uh, I want, I want that thing to like shoot, like shoot a laser show into the sky that follows <laughs> me around that says World Series champion if I get a yeah. ring. And I thought it was great. There's a bunch of great little details in it. Yeah. Uh, the, even inside the door saying we are those dot dot dot. I died laughing when I saw that. Uh, yeah. just all the great little details. I, you know, it's a World Series ring. Yeah. yeah, I think they did a great job designing it. It felt perfect for that run. All the just all the little the little bits, the the inside jokes, the you know just everything's gonna make you remember that it was from that World Series. You have no doubt. It's not just a you know a Dodgers World Series ring or a Braves World Series ring where it has the logo. Um, it's going. It has. It's about that run, and I I just kept looking at it, just being in awe of it whenever I saw it.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's phenomenal. I think my favorite little detail, there's so many good details, but I love on the rings the players got that open up, um, the 11 uh, yep, sapphires yep. on the inside. Uh, it's that rubies, were, rubies, rubies. Rubies, excuse me, rubies that were representing where the 11 home runs they hit uh, were located. I think that's probably my favorite touch. I forget. There's a really cool infographic with all the details. There's also something, I think it's maybe 755. Is it crystals? Maybe total,
2: total 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 diamonds on the ring
1: are seven fifty five. Yep, that's uh,
2: awesome. So, so there's also it goes. It's a deeper cut than that, right? Because the emerald the um the emerald cuts around the outside. There's forty four of them. Wow. On the top of the ring, there's a hundred and fifty of them for the number of years that the Bra- the Braves have been in existence. Eighteen point seven one karat gold. Which is when the Braves were established as an organization. that they, they, I'm telling you, they killed this thing. I'm, yeah. I'm in awe of. Like, I, I, all I want to do is see a real one in person. I just want, like, Me I don't too. even have to touch. Yeah. I don't even have to touch it. <laughs> I probably will try, but like, I just, I think they did a great job. Just full stop. I thought, I thought it was a great ring. Uh, I, I thought it was a great celebration, largely uh, with the nonsensical Ron Cunha story notwithstanding. Uh, it was just, it was a great time. And, you know, ultimately a good way to start the series season, you know, you go 500, no one got hurt, which is, which is always big news, right. uh, yes. to, which is the thing you always concerned about these, these first few games is that, you know, all of a sudden some, some key guy goes down, no one got hurt. A lot of positives to be taken away from it. I, I, it was a blast to be able to watch actual baseball considering how really two of the last three years have gone for us.
1: Yeah, no, it was, I know Brian Sitker, especially the moment where he got his ring, uh, to be able to read his mind at that very moment, a guy who has quite literally given his entire adult life to the Atlanta Braves organization for him to finally get his ring and just going down the list. So many people who are just so deserving of this. Um, yeah. Awesome. And if you're going to the game Monday night, if if uh, you don't have a ticket, I don't know if the game is sold out and I'm speaking broadly here, but if you don't have a ticket, that you might be able to find one Monday they are giving out 40,000 replica rings which um the the broadcast booth was saying they look pretty good um that's a pretty cool uh, that's a pretty cool giveaway if anyone oh, in the area I'm, I'm, are you, I'm finding uh, a way to
2: get one I'm going to find yeah. I'm not I can't go to the game but I'm finding a way to get one of those replicas that's happening I'll go yeah. ahead and tell you that now
1: e, Yeah eBay on Tuesday morning might be a good bet you might be able to find one you might have to overpay a little bit but whatever it's uh it's just I, money. You know,
2: <laughs> it, it it is what it is at this point. Every time I see the the Brave Store like that gold collection that they put up, not just I got my hat, but uh the uh, like you know just like the, the little pendants and stuff they put up, and now I'm having to just desperately just avoid the store right now because you know, you know they, they 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 know exactly what their their audience is right now. They they know exactly how much money they can get out of us.
1: Yeah, that's right. Keep printing that money, keep bringing everybody to Atlanta. It all uh, it all goes to a good cause, I suppose. Um All right, Eric, looking ahead, uh, no days off. So if you're a fan of Atlanta Braves baseball, uh, you have a lot of baseball ahead of you. So uh, the homestand continues Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday against the Washington Nationals. Uh, The Nationals actually beat the Mets on Sunday, which was nice little, uh, it was their first win of the year. And then the Braves head out west. So they play a noon game on Thursday, or on Wednesday, excuse me. And then they head out to San Diego uh, to play four with the Padres. So, uh, any real takeaways from the upcoming schedule? Again, it's it's just so early. You hope everyone continues to shake off any cobwebs and hit their groove a little bit. But really, it's, it's three home games against a rebuilding Washington Nationals lineup and team. Uh, and then the Padres, who are going to be without Fernando Tatis. And uh, we'll see what this year holds after the way they kind of fell apart down the stretch last year.
2: Yeah, I will say just the month in April in general just doesn't feel particularly hard for the Braves, which is good on a number of levels. You know, you don't feel like anyone's really going to like you have to be like at your absolute best to put together a good month. Uh, I think the Nationals are actively really bad. Um <laughs> But so I think mission one is just don't let one Soto beat you in those three games. And if you do that, you're probably going to be well on your way to doing some good things against the Nationals. We'll see how that actually, that execution actually happens, but ultimately that's kind of how I, all I really think about that series is that, you know, Juan Soto and, you know, to some extent Nelson Cruz, those are the guys that I really worry about with that Nationals team. I'm not really particularly worried about it, anyone else, uh, in that series. Then, you know, West Coast trips, I just never have a great read as to how the, the Braves are going to respond in those. I, I think this Padres team is certainly talented, but also a flawed team, particularly without Tatis Jr. in the lineup. He's just one of those guys that you just sometimes will just beat you in a series. You know, he just goes, you know, six for nine with, you know, four home runs, one of which is the grand slam and just, you can't get him out. So nice to not have to deal with him early in the season. It'll be interesting to see kind of how this team, particularly with, you know, what could be some issues with just kind of like getting everyone Back in game shape, how that um, that really that quick West Coast road trip goes. But of the guy, teams that they could go against on the West Coast, this is the a Padres team that in its current state right now is certainly not the worst case scenario. If you had to go against the Dodgers right now, there's a number of reasons why that would be uh, a frankly exhausting experience, uh, not, including but not limited to having to deal with Freddie Freeman the first you know week of the season or whatever. But Again, it's, it's, it's an early West Coast road trip. Ultimately, it's just about staying healthy and kind of getting guys going and in game shape. I don't, this, this roster is good enough where I'm not worried about them, you know, going one and six in a week. If they are, if they do go one and six this week or something, then we'll That's be open. having a different conversation next week. But overall, I think it's just about, you know, getting guys just sorted out, distributing the load, trying to make sure that everyone is contributing, making sure no one's gassed right out of the gate and hopefully, you know, putting some wins up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And they do, funny enough, you mentioned playing the Dodgers this early. So after San Diego, they go to LA. So yeah, I think it's yeah. a real opportunity over these seven games to just, just what you said, get, continue to work things through, um, try to t- get the team going. And that's and again, as Charlie Morton said in his interview, uh, just kind of get in your groove. I think baseball players are such people of habit. Um, just that 162 game grind where uh, they just, they just want to, I don't want to say move on from the festivities because I'm sure the guys had a blast this weekend, but get back to just their normal routine and not having all the ceremony beforehand, I think is something the players, even if they won't directly come out and say it, are probably fine with. Um, this was a very special weekend getting to celebrate that World Series run. Um, and, uh, again, it's, it's good to have Braves baseball back seven games this week and hopefully a chance to make some, some ground up in the standings after, uh the Mets and the Phillies both look like i don't know if you' were able to catch any of their games this weekend Eric, but both the Mets and the Phillies lineups especially uh look like they're really gonna play this year.
2: yeah, I'll believe it when I see it from either of those teams, I'm just gonna be honest about it <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, like the, the, the those are two uh, those are two teams that have won a lot of on paper world Series championships and n l titles and the last I looked, the Braves have won the last four. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see how it plays out. I, I think those teams can very well give the Braves a run for their money, but ultimately it's about sure. execution. And between the, the Mets' ability to stay healthy and the Phillies' ability to play defense or lack thereof, are um, definitely going to be interesting, uh, you know, storylines to watch through, throughout the course of the series, the season,
1: especially when they start going against some really good teams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Eric, we're going to get out of here. Uh, thank you for joining me. I hope we made Brad proud who could not be with us today. Um, but again, thank you to everyone for tuning in this week. Very, very excited to have baseball back. Um, if you're new to the podcast, again, this is our our weekly show. We have Road to Atlanta with Eric and then The Daily Hammer with Sean Coleman during the week. So be sure to check those out. Uh, please, please, please like and share, subscribe. Tell your friends. It really does help us out. and uh Always good to be on with you, Eric. Hope everyone out there is doing well, and we will see you all next time.
0: What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: More to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals.